0: This is my comeback story. This is my comeback story. This is Trey Lewis with Good Landing Recovery, and you're listening to The Comeback. We are back, and I'm here with my friend Avery. What's up, Avery?
1: What's up? How are you? Good, how are you? Where
0: are you from, Avery?
1: Clarksdale, Mississippi.
0: Clarksdale, Mississippi. That is also where I'm from. We love the delta and the flatlands of the north west corner of mississippi just south of memphis tennessee for all of you guys that are listening from different parts of the country it is filled with agriculture and just some of the most amazing people and so excited to be here in atlanta with avery and avery has completed the program at good landing recovery and she is now on staff doing a phenomenal job in many different administrative roles and helping women walk out of active addiction and to walk into a relationship with Jesus. Um, So many exciting things. I just found out that you read your Bible in the first five months that you were here, cover to cover?
1: Cover to cover.
0: Did not even skip any of the baguettes? No, I didn't. (laughs) That's amazing. That's impressive. That has got to be some kind of record time, especially for here. Um, But I don't want to jump too far Ahead of ourselves here. There is a reason that you came to Good Landing, um, and I'd just like to hear a little bit about your story, how it started, what happened.
1: Um, I grew up in a split household. My parents divorced when they were when I was four. My mom was deep into addiction um, with Delaudids. Some of my earliest memories was of her shooting up in the bathroom, and my she. She actually left us with my dad one summer, and we didn't see her for five years. My dad was a single parent, and he was an alcoholic, high-functioning alcoholic. Um, but he he was the best dad that I could ever ask for. Wow. Um, she ended up getting sober when I was around 12, and she came back and wanted to know if we would move back in with her. And she had moved to Vicksburg, Mississippi at the time. Well... We moved in with her, and we lived with her for about four years. Um, In the midst of those four years, though, I was just getting into junior high, started hanging around some troublesome kids, to say the least. Um, I started smoking weed and cigarettes. And um, I remember when I was around 14 is when I tried meth for the first time. And I ended up getting real deep off in it. And I remember...
0: Where, where did you get meth at 14?
1: It was my friend's brother. He uh-huh. had actually went to jail for cooking dope, and he would get out, and he would go back, and he'd get out. Well, it just so happened, being in the midst of her house, we were able to get it and get high. Wow. And after that, I was introduced to a bunch of more people who were smoking meth, and it become a pretty regular thing. And then we was, we was on our way to Clarksdale. I remember it was the f- first day of s- summer school because I had horrible grades in eighth grade and my sister did too and we both were going to summer school. And um, we come to Clarksdale and my mom had done relapse and was selling her methadone for Delauded. And on the way back, she ended up nodding out about Cleveland, Shaw area and so she stopped at a service station, and she let my sister drive. We made it maybe five miles, and she ran off the side of the road and ended up, my mom and her jerked the wheel at the same time and flipped the the vehicle 14 times. Um, We were all rushed to Jackson by helicopter, and they pronounced her brain dead. So we ended, my grandmother and them ended up pulling the plug. And I remember, I just remember waking up and then being like, your mom's not gonna make it. And to me, it felt like she done left me again, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah.
1: But at the same sense, that day we was on the way home and I was supposed to be getting high. So when that happened, I felt like God was telling me, you don't need to do that lifestyle anymore, Avery, like I'm punishing you. And I got really angry with God, I really did. Mm-hmm. And um, moved back with my dad. And we at this point we were smoking weed with my dad, you know. We could smoke weed with my dad, but we could only stay at home and smoke weed. He wouldn't let us go out with people. We we wanted friends over, they could come over, but as far as going out with people we couldn't.
0: Was there any tension too? I'm trying to get into some of the family dynamics here. So whenever you decided to leave your dad, go move back in with your mom, was there animosity there?
1: Yes, it was a it was a big ordeal. Um, I remember they sat us down and they made us choose, and I remember being scared to death. And I wanted to be with my mom. Yeah, I hadn't been with her, you know. Yeah. So, I told my dad, and he was pissed. I mean, did I'd he, never seen him like that before in my life.
0: Just so hurt, so rejected. Did he? Did he kind of cut relationship with you whenever you moved with her, or did y'all still talk some?
1: No, we um actually it was a few months before we started talking on the phone again and then like we would come back on weekends, sometimes holidays. We were always um going back and forth visiting. And I mean, he was he was just so glad to have us in his house, period. Mm-hmm. He didn't want anything to happen to us. He was very protective. I see. So um yeah, we were we were all smoking weed together, and my dad always had drunk friends around a bunch of drunk friends. <laughs> it was a pretty it was a pretty fun thing at the time. you know, my dad let me smoke weed, <laughs> you know yeah. it was a it was a big talk of the town too., yeah. know, a lot of people talked bad about him for that, but in the midst of all that, I ended up getting a pill addiction. I started taking xanax, and it seemed like when I took Xanax. I could talk to people, like I've always been kind of shy and closed off, and it seemed like it would relieve my anxiety enough to make, to be able to party mm-hmm. with everybody else. And I remember I was probably two months after turning 18, I went to Fairland for the first time. And I was there 45 days, I think, and um, my counselor at the time told me I was a product of my environment, and that stung. Really, really it really did. Like I I never thought of it like that. Mm. I always thought that that's just was my parents. I didn't think they had anything to do with it. I thought it may have been from the trauma of seeing my mom, you know, using as I was growing up or the splitting up of having to choose between them. But um, it really made sense. It was like it all kind of clicked at that point. And as soon as I got out of there, I went and smoked weed again. Just as quick as I could get out the door.
0: How old were you when you went through?
1: 18. Yeah. And um, I ended up not being real bad on the pills at that point. I actually was pregnant within the next three months with my first daughter. I remember I did cocaine while I was pregnant with her. And I, I couldn't hold anything down for about three days. And I went to the emergency room. And I ended up causing her to have a very fast heart rate, like 265 beats a minute. And um, I was taken to Jackson, and I had to sit down there for three months. I would have to take medicine to keep her heart rate down. And um, after I had her, she stayed in the NICU for 13 days. They were trying to figure out what medicines would help her without being in my body. And she come home, and she did well for a while. and um, the medicine wouldn't work, and we'd have to go back and find a different concoction. And um, when I went back for my six-week checkup, I was pregnant again, and I was pregnant with little Jeffrey. I had him in G- the following January. They're a month and three days apart. Oh wow! And when he was two months old, he quit breathing on his dad. His dad happened to have him that morning. He was going to take him to the doctor. He was real fussy that night. And I had just started a new job like four days before that, so he was going to take him to the doctor for me. And he ended up, he quit breathing. He aspirated on his uh, formula. And it ended up causing brain damage, lack of oxygen. Caused brain damage to to him and um, he's got cerebral palsy now. Um... It's been a struggle for a long time, hmm. just even dealing with the, the cerebral, cerebral palsy. Mm-hmm. Um, he's in a wheelchair, and he's nonverbal, but he is one of the most precious gifts God has ever given me. He opened my eyes with that child, and I think it was probably two years later, my dad went to the Bathroom one morning and he fell and he never got back up mm-hmm. He had a tumor in his lung that suppressed his spine and he was paralyzed and he had stage four lung cancer He stayed in Jackson for a little while at the um, state hospital they were trying to figure out, you know, if they need to do surgery if not they ended up not doing surgery And I was so hopeful I was I was like you're gonna have to do chemo, you know, I can't lose you too Mm-hmm. And um, I made him go through chemo, and he lasted maybe a month after that. But in the midst of all that, I found out I was pregnant with my last son, my last baby. And um, it, was, it was really a struggle after that, just dealing with all of it. It was very, very hard. It still is hard. Um, I felt like an orphan. I felt like God hated me. And I was very, very angry. I was hard. I was cold. It was, I was just in darkness, just pure darkness. I wanted whatever it was that would make me feel better. I ended up being a high functioning opiate, op, opioid addict. I would take any pain pill that you had. Matter of fact, I would take any pill that you had. It didn't matter what kind it was at this point. When that happened, I called my sister and I told her, I was like, you got to come get me. And she came. And I, when I, I left, but I didn't take my kids with me. And they took my children because I had abandoned them. They gave their father custody. And after that, I felt like I didn't have anything to live for at this point. That was, that was all I had to keep me going, to keep me living, breathing. It gave me a purpose. And at that point, I would do whatever you had just to make it numb, not to deal with it, to just shove it in a corner and close the door. And um, I I got addicted to meth at this point. I was anorexic, I didn't eat. Even when I wasn't smoking meth, I'd lost 40 pounds. I was super small tried to dye my hair blonde, it turned orange in the middle of COVID. No one could fix it. Hmm. And my, I remember the, what, the straw that broke the camel's back is I got some bad dope and I started hallucinating real bad. I started seeing my sister in my house and talking to her. and She wasn't there. I know I called her maybe 25 times that day asking her why she would leave. And she's like, I haven't even been out there. And then when they tell me that they hadn't been out there, I thought they were playing games with me mm-hmm. and I would argue to the death over these hallucinations. She was like, and she finally told me, she said, Abraham's gonna put you somewhere. I said, Okay, at this point I I was exhausted and I was just like, I surrender, just do whatever. And she said, Well, um, I'm still trying to find a place. Well, so at this point, My kid's dad started wanting me to get help, too. And David Hobbs, who's his cousin, just so happened to be at Good Landing and had been doing awesome. And um, he was like, I'm going to talk to Trey. I didn't talk to Trey, and um, I want you to go to Good Landing. And him and my sister talked, and the next day she called me. She said, do you want to go? I said, yeah it took me seven hours to get to her house. (laughs) I done took the dash out my car trying to fix the air conditioner. (laughs) And um, I dropped it off and I got in the truck and we headed to Good Landing. And um, at first I thought, wow, she really is embarrassed about me because she's taking me seven hours away from home where I can't (laughs) run home. (laughs) And um, when I got here, I still wasn't I still wasn't surrendering all the way. Um, I was, still had reservations in my head. It took me 90 days to delete some phone numbers. Um, but I remember when I did get here, um, listening to you preach, it, uh, it opened my eyes to a lot of things that I had never seen before in the Bible. Um, I grew up going to church with my granddad a lot. Lion Baptist Church, and um, he was always wanting to take us and show us off to everybody, mm-hmm. and he would preach to us on but i never really had an interest, or I didn't have an interest. You know, I was just going to make him happy. But I remember what really did it for me was it was a Friday night, and you're preaching about the prodigal son. And at that point is when I realized I wasn't an orphan, that I was a child of God, and I was a child of light, and I was worthy. I was loved beyond measure. And when I started thinking about it is when I was like, well, you know, if he's my father, I know how he feels about me because I have children. I know there's nothing in this world my children can do to make me not love them. Yeah. I know there's nothing that could happen. No, I don't want to say that. There it's just it was nothing they could do to make me not love them. Yeah. And I knew that's how he felt. It don't matter how far they get from me. Don't matter if they go to Australia and don't want to talk to me for 10 years, I still love them the same. Yeah. And um, that's when I started reading the Bible. And Matthew, Mark, and John were kind of, It was it's another book I'm missing. Matthew, Mark, John, Luke. Luke. They're all about the same.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it was kind of boring in that part to me because I had done read it through every book. and But when I got to Acts and Romans, mm-hmm. that, that was it. It was like the plane took off. Wow. I remember I went through the New Testament like it was butter. When I was like cutting butter, I didn't I didn't read through it. And then I was like, well, I don't know about the Old Testament, you know? Like, who wants to read that? And then I started in Genesis, and Genesis is good too. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what have I missed at this point? But um, yeah, that, that's how it took off.
0: That's incredible, and you've just given so much too, just on the revelation of the love of the Father you know, getting into the Word, you know, when I think about, you know, how many women typically don't make it into treatment, the ones that do typically respond better. You know, and I'm looking at you now, you know, over a year removed from active addiction. I mean, you're a completely different person. You know, you're helping people. You love the Lord. You've gotten this revelation. I mean, are there any other takeaways or things like that that – you know maybe somebody that is on the front end of this journey, or you know really anybody at it at, at any level could could really glean from from your walk and and what you've been through,
1: yeah, I feel like what I've been through in my life could touch so many people, and I feel like if I had every reason to get high, but I also have every reason to stay sober. Everything that I've been through, all the hardships, all the grievances, everything, it's worth it. It's hard. It's not the easiest thing to do to stay sober. Matter of fact, it's really hard at times, but it's worth it. It really is. It's worth it.
0: so good. I love how blunt you are. I love the way you keep it real around here. (laughs) And, you know, it really doesn't matter, you know, who it is, where they come from, what their background is, and you're just a straight shooter. Um, and, and that's a gift, you know, because we talk about that a lot, that, you know, being able to be assertive, you know, you hear me say a lot of times that you've got to be willing to hurt somebody else's feelings to be able to set boundaries. Not that that's some kind of license to run around, you know, for us to be be mean to people. But I'm like, if you, if you can't learn how to set a good boundary with somebody, then you don't have another, you don't really have a chance outside of here. And you do that so well. I am so honored to have you a part of the team and uh, just excited about how God's going to use you in the future.
1: I am too. So excited.
0: We'll do it again. Yes. Guys, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. It is a privilege and an honor to be able to serve you. If you or someone in your family is struggling with addiction, please give us a call It's 770-570-7422.